Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos, and Deacon Doug Flynn, who is the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese. Uh, before we begin our discussion today, Deacon Patrick, would you lead us in an opening prayer? In nomine Patris, et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc en anora mortis nostrae. Amen. So our uh, topic today is uh, exorcisms, and we thought it might be a good idea to address this topic because there are currently two movies um, out I know one for sure is in theaters. I'm not sure about the other one uh, that have to do with demonic possession and exorcisms. Uh, one is called The Pope's Exorcist, and it is, uh, I guess, loosely based on the life of um, a priest who served as an exorcist in Italy for many years, Father uh, Gabriel Amorth. Apparently so loosely based on it that one of the things I saw described it as making um, uh, the author of uh, Brown, I can't think of his first name. Oh, Dan Brown, the Da Vinci making Code. Making Dan Brown pr- uh, very proud. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. So, right. And then the other movie is um, called Nefarious. And I was not able to find an actual full review on that particular movie, but what I did find is is that it uh, um, tells the story of a man who is on death row, and somehow it's discovered that he is um, possessed by the devil. So, not I, I don't know that there's an exorcist per se involved in that storyline, but, um, you know, it's just interesting that both of these movies are getting a good amount of attention right now. And so we thought it would be helpful to actually try to put the topic of exorcism in, in perspective of, yeah, church teaching, you know, church practice, that kind of thing. And we're doing it all in 30 minutes or less. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or your money back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I, first um, I would read the uh, uh, one of the paragraphs from the Catechism of the Catholic Church that kind of explains um, church teaching on exorcism. And it's paragraph number uh, 1673. And it says, when the church asks publicly and authoritatively in the name of Jesus Christ, that a person or object be protected against the power of the evil one and withdrawn from his dominion, it is called exorcism. Jesus performed exorcisms, and from him the church has received the power and office of exorcising. 
In a simple form, exorcism is performed at the celebration of baptism. The solemn exorcism, called a major exorcism, can be performed only by a priest and with the permission of the bishop. The priest must proceed with prudence, strictly observing the rules established by the church. Exorcism is directed at the expulsion of demons or to the liberation from demonic possession through the spiritual authority which Jesus entrusted to his church. Illness, especially psychological illness, is a very different matter. Treating this is the concern of medical science. Therefore, before an exorcism is performed, it is important to ascertain that one is dealing with the presence of the evil one and not an illness. So, do they, I mean, do, do they give a definition there, though? <laughs> I mean, of a, a, a definition that's of probably way above my pay grade. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, I think it, a, a lot of people I know I was surprised to learn that um, exorcism is a part of baptism. And I guess it's when we say, uh, do you reject Satan and all his works? Is that, is that correct, Deacon Doug? Is that, is that the exorcism portion? Um, actually, or, it's, it's, it's earlier. It's right before the anointing with the uh, oil of the catechumens. Oh, okay. But yes, you do have to reject Satan as well as part of the rite. <laughs> and the, the Vetus Ordo uh, baptism, there's no mistaking it. It's, it's very oh, yes. clear <laughs> and, and quite beautiful. Well, I think, you know, the, so as you alluded to earlier, Deacon Patrick, um, the, the, I think the general consensus is that most of the Hollywood movies that have been made um, pertaining to demonic possession and exorcism are pretty, um, uh, I don't know, maybe not accurate kind of exaggerations, kind of um, glamorized, for lack of a better word. Um, they they don't really give the full picture of, first of all, just just what um, what kind of leads up to these. Um, these cases and how it fits into the larger picture of this, the, the sacraments and kind of the way grace is um, administered through them. Um, well, oh, go ahead. Uh, Veronica, I can speak a little bit to the nefarious movie, which I've not seen. I had seen the trailer and I know it was produced and uh, written by Steve Dace, who is a uh, conservative talk show person on uh, the blaze tv network uh, but both i heard an interview that they did with a catholic priest exorcist who opined that um that their representation of what an interaction would look like if it were, were someone who was truly possessed was uh, closer than anything else he had ever seen and i know bishop golka actually saw the movie and concurred with that uh, assessment so I don't think there was an exorcism in there. I think it was the psychologist lay person was being called to try and determine whether or not this person, this person on death row was possessed or whether he was just using it as an excuse to get out of the death sentence. And, um, but knowing that the author of it was a evangelical Christian, uh, he had 
I think two priests help write it and two priests on site every day of the filming and the list of things that, that went on that were, um, nefarious, uh, oddly nefarious. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> apparently similar things happened when they were filming the exorcist movie back in the seventies, I guess it was. So that that's just a little, uh, a little information on the nefarious one. And I certainly haven't heard or seen anything on the, the Pope's exorcist, except that it was pretty anti-Catholic church. Well, um, yeah, I, I was uh, reading this article from, um, uh, Catholic news service, uh, written just a couple weeks ago. And, you know, the, the subject of the article is that exorcism becomes a hot topic for film and books. But one of the, um, so, so one of the priests that they interviewed, uh, he has this quote that I, I thought was really um, on target. He says, the priest exorcist is often depicted in films as if he were an independent or lonely freelancer, a doctor who makes house calls dropping in without establishing a human relationship, much less a spiritual one. And you know, it, it definitely seems like, uh, you know, particularly sometimes in, um, uh, you know, TV shows or whatever, right? It's like call in an exorcist, you know, and the priest just shows up with a crucifix and holy water. And and um, as it references in the article, I mean, uh, really, it, it seems like it's more part of a ongoing process where, you know, a person is having some type of, of problem and they, you know, they consult um, a priest in the diocese and it's almost like they, the, you know, they rule out, the priest rules out every other possible cause. And then, um, you know, exorcism is more like a last resort rather than the first thing that they'll throw at somebody just to say, Oh, you know, um, you, you must be possessed. So, um, it's good to know though, that, that then I, uh, good to know that the nefarious movie is, um, something that actually might be. <laughs> yeah, well, it was certainly written from a Christian worldview and the book that it was based on, or that's maybe it's a prequel for also written by Steve Dace, has been described more as uh, more akin to uh, C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. Oh, yeah. Okay. So. I think it's important for us to note that demons do not have the power to take away our free will. Only we have that power. (laughs) And so we have to participate in some way, we may be agreeing. One of the things that, that stories about demons or the devil, somebody makes a deal with the devil that they don't fully understand, but they still agreed to it. They didn't read the fine print. They didn't consult their, uh, their demon lawyer, but ah, the old Faustian bargain. <laughs> exactly. Um, but they agreed to it and, and that's how sin works. It dupes us. And we see that with the very first sin where Satan said, did God really say? And 
he twists the truth because the truth is not on his side. And that's one of the key pieces we can use in our daily life to combat temptation, sin, evil, um, is mindfulness, logic, and reason. And by mindfulness, I don't mean the New Age mindfulness thing. I'm meaning um. contemplative. <laughs> uh, Doug, you just triggered the brain injury, and now I don't know where I was. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mindfulness. <laughs> That's ironic. <laughs> Having got you off track, I, I feel compelled to speak up. But uh, there, what, going back to your earlier point, Deacon Patrick, about um, the demonic and the de devils not being able to overcome our free will, I read a book many years ago uh, called uh, Hostage to the Devil by Malachi Martin, and it was basically four or five different case studies of an interview that he had done with a famous or a worldwide exorcist, and, and they repeatedly made that point that before someone can truly be possessed, they have to implicitly, but often explicitly, permit or invite the demon in. And it, I just remember thinking, oh, it's kind of like a vampire, right? They don't have any power unless you invite them in. And there's a lot of truth to fairy tales, to uh, various horror stories that haven't been modernized so that they're our friends. Um <clears throat> Because they're speaking about soulscape. They're speaking about the invisible, mystical world that's real and happening around us all the time and revealing truths about it. Um, and it's... How do we... How do we recognize when sin may be at play... One of the ways is, and I think this is where I was heading with the mindfulness thing, um, one of the ways is logic and reason. Fallacies of logic are always a sign that um, there's blindness to the truth in whoever is committing that fallacy of logic. And we see that again in that first, in, in the first sin committed, uh, where... Um, the serpent deceives Eve. Um, and one of the things that happens in our daily lives is we inadvertently or advertently give our sinner quarter. We, uh, we give our sinner places to hide in our own lives, making us deaf, blind, dumb, and stupid. And when it comes to discerning truth from falsity, we need to be very, very clear. And that's one of the challenges people in the church, including the hierarchy of the church, have been having uh, throughout history. And, and we're in a new wave where that seems to happen a lot. Um, and I just saw an article that, that struck me as a, a profound example of this. Um, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi of Bologna, um, he's the head of the Italian Bishops Conference was speaking uh, about Italy's uh, law from 1978, which legalized abortion in the first 90 days of pregnancy. And he references an obscure to us 
occurrence in Roman history of the Horatii and Curiatii, um, which is uh, in 8th century BC, the Roman region and the uh, Albano, Lake Albano region, were nearly at war. And they realized, well, if we actually fight a war, we're going to be weakened and this third region is going to come and take us over. So instead, they wanted to have uh, three gladiators, three gladiator brothers on each side, um, fight to the death. Uh, to decide it, they did. The Romans won. Uh, Publius was the last of the Roman fighters alive. And uh, he slayed uh, all three Albans. And then he turned and slayed his own sister because she was um, betrothed to one of the Albans that he'd just killed. Um, and she was crying for him. And so this story has become a metaphor for us versus them logic, all or nothing take no prisoners. Uh, and applying it to this, he's, uh, the Cardinal said, um, it's important to succeed in exiting from the scheme of the Horatii and Curiatii. In essence, saying uh, that we're doing a strategic retreat in the wars of culture. And we're hearing this a lot in a lot of different ways within Catholicism uh, and within the hierarchy. And it makes it really, really refreshing when we hear a voice that does a shepherding voice who says something otherwise. Uh, and Archbishop uh, Coakley um, published a, uh, and I'm not even sure what it was, but he, he, he wrote on, uh, gender dysphoria and how we're called to respond with love and truth. Um, and so he, his basic message is we need to respond with love to those with gender dysphoria without compromising truth. And that's a key distinction that we need to continue rather than, uh, giving the sinner quarter, giving aid and uh, comfort to the enemy, uh, mystically speaking, with the excuse that we're, we're making peace with complexity. These are complex issues and, and how we live them in a civil society is very complex. No, it's not. Moral truth is not complex. <laughs> um, how we go about getting there, we can talk about, and there may be complexity, but the core truth is not complex. And so that's a way that demons can twist the truth and make it easier for them to achieve uh, acquiescence from people without them even knowing fully what they're acquiescing to. Uh, is this this um, giving the sinner quarter and room to hide. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a, 
really important point, Deacon Patrick, is that, um, to, you know, to realize that we're on, on, in one way or another, we, we always are, um, engaged in spiritual warfare. You know, it, it may be in, in regards to very little things, but, um, it's, it's not just, uh, it's not just the people who are, um, uh, for lack of a better word, big sinners who, um, you know, are kind of vulnerable to this thing. I mean, I, I think about, um, to be honest, like one of the things that I was thinking about as you were, were describing it is, um, you know, just, just the way that, uh, misunderstandings can crop up in families. Um, you know, somebody says something and, you interpret it a certain way and become very angry because it, you know, appears to be like an insult. You mean how, like, you just call me the biggest sinner? <laughs> like, like, like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant that. No, just kidding. But um, <laughs> no, but, but yeah, exactly. Like, you know, um, and, and, um, and, and, to, to actually realize that, yeah, I mean, we're, we're at fault in those situations, but, you know, doesn't the devil just relish the opportunity to create divisions in families over some, you know, relatively, um, minor comment that is, you know, was taken completely out of context or just, just misinterpreted and, you know, um, not, now what do you say? Well, and, and, you know, and, and so, you know, like, especially with, um, with, uh, with, with phones now with, with phones and texting, I, I kind of think that the, the occasions or the opportunities I should say are just multiplied, you know, with that kind of thing. So, um, one of the, one of the people I really enjoy listening to on Catholic radio, um, it, what, one of the, uh, phrases he uses very often and I think it's just so helpful is that when we feel anger it's not a call to action it's a call to prayer you know so that if somebody says something that seems offensive or insulting I mean the first thing we really need to do is stop and just put our you know put ourselves in God's presence um, if not we're if we're not able to you know physically it be in a chapel or a church, but at least, you know, where, wherever we are and, and, and just bring it to prayer, you know, rather than reacting. And, but again, you know, um, we, we can't be naive and think that the devil isn't looking for ways to exploit all those, those things that happen in our, in our day-to-day lives, you know, your anger comment uh, got me thinking on one of the shepherding principles, and I don't know if we've talked about this specifically here yet or not, uh, but it's the idea that emotions are barometers of right relationship. They're not anything more. They're not anything less. And when we understand what emotions are, then we can use our mind and be mindful and use logic and reason to sort out, okay, wait, 
where I'm feeling a negative emotion, most of the time, grieving is one of the exceptions, um, but where I'm feeling a negative emotion, there's broken relationship, but it's probably hiding which relationship it's in. Uh, so that it gets me to meddle with relationships that are not broken as much. And I break them too. <laughs> um, and where that, where I'm experiencing positive emotions, uh, that's a sign of right relationship. Um, and there's a lot more nuance to this and you have to get into Ignatian discernment to understand some of those nuances. Uh, but emotions aren't what, like you said, Veronica, they're not a call to action. They're a call to discernment and prayer and self reflection and understanding and humility. Well, and right. I mean, part of that is that, um, when something happens, something unpleasant happens in our life, um, oftentimes, uh, unfortunately, due to original sin, the first thing we do is look around for somebody to blame. And, you know, it, it, it is interesting that the one of the names for Satan is the accuser. And I, I know for me, it was, um, you know, really kind of um, enlightening to realize that uh, if I'm, you know, if I'm blaming, constantly looking for someone to blame because this happened and, you know, that didn't go well. Um, that's, that's not a virtuous <laughs> mindset, you know, that's, that's actually, um, a, a sinful mindset in, in a lot of cases. So, um, Wait, I'm the big sinner here. <laughs> <laughs> If only you told me, Veronica. <laughs> but you know, and and so yeah, I, I mean, the you know, just the, just the fact that, um, and again, you know, in families, this is uh, this is uh, a, a, this this can be a really bad habit to fall into. You know, who left the milk out? <laughs> who didn't turn the light off? You know, it, it's just it's just you know, on and on and on and. Um, all the things that happen when you have a number of people, you know, living under the, sa the same roof. And, um, you know, before you know it, minor uh, grievances turn into, you know, real, real, as you mentioned. Brujahas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Veronica, when you mentioned that, it reminded me of an old cartoon uh, called Family Circus. And when those questions would get asked, there was a little invisible character called Not Me. <laughs> would go go around and turn on the lights and leave the leave the uh, refrigerator door open. Am I the only nimwitted kid who followed those little dash lines whenever there was a, a a traipsing through the neighborhood by not me or any of the other kids? Did you follow with your eyes or did you follow with your finger? I had to do both. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're just trying to. I think to that's, I think that's how nimwitted I was. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> really normal. <laughs> well, and then I, you know, the other thing, um, just as I was doing a little bit of uh, research before the show, um, kind of circling back to the topic of exorcisms, is that um, they that exorcisms can be used to um, 
just to to try to drive the devil out of um, certain certain locations. Um, it's not necessarily directed at one person. And I, w one of the articles that popped up was um, about a uh, a Franciscan friar in New York back last fall who uh, was um, uh, per performing an ex exorcism um, in, in front of a, an abortion clinic. And, and he actually was arrested because uh, they, they were claiming that he, you know, was blocking the entrance to the building. I, I think ultimately I, the, the charges were dropped, but, um, you know, I think it just kind of goes back to the idea that it's, um, that exorcism is a much broader um, topic than is is often portrayed in the media. Well, you'd mentioned the the art of spiritual warfare, and I think it's in many degrees a lost art uh, in that we don't explore what exactly are the weapons. What are the, what's the martial art of of this? And I've talked about. Uh, um, the uh and now my brain's blanking on this um the spiritual uh weapons that jesus gives us uh salvation arts um are much like the martial arts but they're mystical for our soul and holy mary gave saint dominic the rosary uh and when we pray it there's many depictions of saints whipping the devil with their rosary uh, and that's not metaphorical in the mystical world. Um, so we, we have many weapons against, uh, Satan and the demons. We're not at all powerless, uh, as long as we're with Christ and his Holy mother, uh, to, um, have them wage it for us. And one of my favorite prayers is, uh, to uh, St. Joseph, uh, Terror of Demons, and it's Sancte Joseph, Terror Demonum, Ora Pro Nobis. Um, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. Uh, and so whenever I experience um, temptation, that's the prayer that I pray. Uh, and I find that the temptation itself has vanished. Um, I don't even remember what it was after I've prayed that three times. Well, that's, that's impressive. I'm going to add that to my repertoire. Of... <laughs> Are you a big sinner too, Veronica? <laughs> <laughs> I'm offended by that. <laughs> Depends on who you ask. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we're just about out of time for our podcast today. Uh, but before we close, just want to remind everybody that you can find this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, and several other platforms. So uh, we've got, like I said, we're into season three now, so there's quite a few past episodes. Um, and, get... and as you pointed out at the beginning, everyone is our audience now. <laughs> everyone is listening. Tens and tens of listeners. Hey. <laughs> Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, 
Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in anora mortis nostre. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. <laughs>